On to episode eight of the Marketing to Win podcast. Today's conversations with Brandon Carter. He is the marketing automation director at Digital Reach. It's an agency. And uh, he actually started in PR, then went to content and ended up in automation. And he's got a load of lessons about that transition and experience that I think is helpful for marketers who find themselves on small teams having to do a lot. So learn from his lessons. There's a lot of good stuff. Tell us a little bit about you and then uh, what you do, who you sell to, what you're selling, um, and maybe set that same context for, you know, if whatever stories you feel like you're going to share. Yeah, uh, my name is Brandon Carter. I am the marketing automation director at Digital Reach. Uh, Digital Reach is a multi-channel marketing agency focusing on pretty much all things digital and we work with 12 or 13 clients on their, uh, my particular division works with 12 or 13 clients on their marketing automation. Uh, everything from like building ABM programs in Marketo to migrating from Salesforce to HubSpot. We even work in some of the uh, not quite as fun marketing automation platforms like uh, ActOn and Autopilot. Uh, but yeah, basically uh, myself and my team are just a bunch of marketing automation geeks uh, and largely come from uh, marketing generalist backgrounds. So uh, we've all done things from like pay-per-click to content to SEO. Um, PR is my particular background from back in the day. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we love all things marketing and all things uh, geekery when it comes to marketing automation. And uh, I'm also the co-leader of the Salt Lake City HubSpot user group and have been uh, with a guy named Darren Bernson. We've done that for about five years. Uh, one of the oldest and one of the first HubSpot user groups. And I'm also proud to you know, say that we're one of the largest in the nation, even though we haven't been meeting a ton since the uh, pandemic hit. Um, so yeah, I mean, my background is a lot of, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of PR, but I've also done uh, I have a lot of SEO, a lot of content. I'm a writer at heart. Um, and that's sort of how I got into marketing automation, which has turned into like a, you know, at this point, seven or eight year love affair. And it's basically what I do for nine or 10 hours a day now. And love yeah. It. yeah, that's awesome. Um, that, that is an interesting switch from PR to uh, automation. I don't know if a lot of people would think that that would be a path, but very, I mean, very few, what, there is no standard path anymore. You know, we all kind of have our own experience, so. Yep. So, and, well, and, and part of, and part of like, I guess what I think we're going to talk about is how I made that transition. Cause I think it like, to me, it's a natural transition and, you know, one that um, I think a lot of PR people may have found them, maybe finding themselves in today. I don't know. Yep. Well, let's talk about it then. Let's do, like what, what caused the transition? So like what made you move over or what forced you to move over or however it came to be? So for years, um, I did PR for fairly notable brands. I spent a couple years with the Utah Jazz, um, you know, basically running PR for a basketball team. Uh, worked with a lot of prominent uh, tech companies and startups here in the Salt Lake City uh, and Utah County area. And in 2010, I took a job with a smaller company that didn't have the big name. We didn't have big, sexy investors like Google uh, or, you know, any, any like, you know, like Facebook or Google or any of these startups, the Y Combinator was not uh, knocking on our door. 
And yet I was tasked with, you know, getting PR uh, and trying to get media coverage for this organization. And after a year, like it just wasn't happening. You know, it's, it's just people, the tech industry in particular, as online media was really becoming prominent in 2010, no one really wanted to write about companies that were bootstrapped, um, kind of boring B2B uh, business services companies based in a, like a, you know, <laughs> renovated warehouse yeah. in the outskirts of North Salt Lake City. And so uh, I took my PR skills and decided that basically if no one was going to tell our story that we were going to do it ourselves. And we dove headfirst into content. Uh, and literally I had very little budget. I had a blog I had a website, a blog, and some social media profiles, and we grinded it out. And, you know, we can go into the details, but the short story is after a couple of years, we had a database with a couple hundred thousand people and no real way of uh, consistently reaching back out to them or marketing to them. Uh, and so that's how I sort of pivoted into uh, marketing automation. I was handed HubSpot and suddenly... I had the ability to reach out to 300,000 people at the touch of a button if I felt like it. And it's been kind of a, an ongoing love affair since then, but it all started with, you know, just no, a boring, um, uninteresting B2B company that yeah. just needed some attention. And all we did was we told our story and tried to build an audience over the course of several years. And yeah, they're still doing great. I'm no longer there, obviously, but it's, it's, still working out really well for them. Yeah, that's cool. So I, uh, just from hearing that, there would be two, I think, things to touch on that I'd really love to hear more details on. So first, um, your uh, your adjustment from, you know, straight PR coverage to diving into content and maybe, uh, and then was, did you say the result of that is what got you the database or was that database kind of already there from various other uh like campaigns and tactics. Yeah. Um, so the first part, generally, when you when you talk about PR and and really PR in the traditional like media relations sense, you are developing stories and you're you're developing reasons why your company or your client is interesting. Why should someone else care? And in particular, like my job was to go to writers and editors and say, hey, here's why you need to cover this company. And this is in, in particular, this is why your audience would find our story interesting or, 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 you know, we're launching this new product. Here's why you should find it interesting and why your audience will like it. Um, you know, and, and if they don't, uh, if, if you can't get the media to bite on that, then how else are you going to get your story out? Like you can send out press releases, uh, but no one reads press releases. They're, right. they're, like they have some value to some editors. It's a conversation starter when you're doing like media pitching uh, and they're good for SEO, but no like consumer or even like buyer is going to read a press release. So what I did is I pretty much translated what I would normally put in a press release. So what I would normally put in a pitch and I put it in a blog and we wrote it out in conversational style and tried to tell stories. Uh, tried to be brief. One interesting tidbit is we tried it for a couple of years and had good traffic and we're getting a lot of subscribers. 
but I felt it could do better. So one of the things that I did is I went in, I looked at the uh, writing level that we were putting at using the Gutenberg uh, editor, which is a great tool that like pretty much anyone that's writing anything should be using. I plugged all of our content in kind of one at a time and found that we were writing on like a grade 13 level. Oh man, man, you guys are um, smart. We were, well, we were, we were, we were outsmarting our audience. Yeah, that's right. And, and so what I did is from that point on, I vowed that I was only going to write at like a level between six and eight. And once we did that traffic just exploded and search engines picked up on it. Our social shares picked up. Um, so the company really does, uh, they're, they're an add on for like loyalty programs. So they're pretty niche. So like, what this company does is, well, like you, you wouldn't even know the name um, because they are an add-on to when you sign up for like the Kroger uh, or the, sorry, the Smiths or Kroger, like fresh values card or whatever that's, whatever that's called. Yeah. Um, they're, they're sort of like a background technology. So really niche audience, hard to find them. Um, and so what we like, what we really needed to do is have good accessible content um, but that was really like 20% of the focus. 80% was uh, getting it out there, promoting it on social media, going into like LinkedIn groups and Facebook groups where I knew a lot of these buyers were, where I, where I knew in particular where a lot of the influencers were and making sure that they saw it. Um, and, you know, all of these things sort of happen in conjunction, like good content. Uh, you can have good content, but Google may not notice it. Your audience may not notice it. You have to spend a lot of time promoting it. Um, and as they promote it, as it gets out there, Google picks up on those social signals. They pick up on the quality. And over time, you know, it, it raises up the profile of not just your blog. And this is why I'm a big believer in blogs is as your blog rises, so does the rest of your site. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's fantastic about a blog is you can have conversations and talk about things that you would never talk about on your core website, but as your visibility in the blog increases, it increases like your visibility for your website. Google picks up on all the other keywords, that site authority increases. So that's uh, sort of like the, the, the story of the content um, and how like, I think it's a natural transition for like PR. Uh, I think PR and content should work super closely together. Yeah. The uh, the second part of your question. I'm going to pause you real quick because I had one follow up question on that. You you talked about twenty uh, percent of the focus on content, and then essentially the other eighty will say on distribution. So what what was your process for figuring out how you were going to distribute your story? Like how did you find? I mean, you talked about finding. I think that's a lot, um, especially early marketers that, that kind of like, mm-hmm. like if you're in school and you're coming out and your view of marketing is probably social media, right? <laughs> like that's probably yep. your little view. And, and that it's <laughs> as simple as like setting a post. So like explain your process of really one, understanding your audience and then finding the spaces that you felt like were effective in distributing the content. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's, one, it's sort of incumbent upon anyone that's creating content to understand who it's for. Um, and those things are not, um, they're not going to be easy if you're operating in a silo. So if marketing is sitting in the corner, just doing marketing, 
and working, not working with the other teams in an organization, you're not going to know who those people are. You're just going to be sort of throwing stuff out into the wilderness. Um, what really made the difference for me was I embedded myself with our sales team. I learned who they're talking to, both like from a title standpoint, but also from a broader standpoint. What kind of companies are they, are they talking to? Um, are they like channel partners? Are they big retailers that have loyalty programs? Uh, are they like, um, you know, uh, like resellers? And once I, uh, and I listened to sales calls, I listened to objections, I listened to how our salespeople talked about it. Um, quite frankly, the best piece of content that we had uh, was a collection of stats. And I know that those are pretty common, but I found that one of our sales reps was using a really tremendous, tremendously large list of statistics. And he had a few news sources that he read where he would just grab those and stick them into a PowerPoint. And it sounds terrible as a PowerPoint, but I'm looking at it thinking, man, that would be really valuable to have on a blog. So I started stealing his work and turned it into a ginormous blog post that uh, to this day probably still ranks in the top 10 for like loyalty programs or loyalty stats, if not the, if not the number one. Um, so the first part of it, I mean, I guess maybe the most important part of it for me is working with other parts of the organization, both sales, but also your like account managers, if you have those, your customer success team. So understand like who you're talking to. And in doing that, you can then like follow them online and see like where are they talk, where, where are they um, posting things? Where are they learning? Is it LinkedIn groups? Is it just Twitter or maybe like a Twitter chat? <clears throat> Is it a Slack group, which is a big thing now, like there are a lot of specialized Slack groups. Uh, so the more that you can embed yourself with the team, like your customer facing teams, um, and this is marketing 101 these days, right? Like you need, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to be aligned with your sales team. Everything else works so much better when you and sales are on the same, um, on the same wavelength and you can understand your audience, but also like find good content talking points. Your greatest like blog post or your great, your next ebook, your next piece of content, your next email even uh, might be from listening to how your sales team responds to an objection. Um, and yeah, that's just like an easy path to create good content. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially like if, if you were to paint it in steps, it's like, um, you work with sales, you either listen into their conversations, join the conversation. I've, I've heard of marketers making, you know, certain goals for themselves to actually have uh, straight marketing to customer calls just to, yep. so that like, sales isn't even present. So there's a little bit, <laughs> they can be a little more open rather than have that pressure of like, they got to buy something. Right. Um, Absolutely. And then, um, and then, you know, like it, it, you could just tag your, like your customer database and then either talk to them or just follow like social feeds or where they are to really get an idea of, of what and they do. And that's kind of the, this, to, it's to sort of like answer the second part of your question, which I'm sorry, I think I neglected, but no, yeah, you, let's go. you have to put in the grit. You have to put in the homework. You have to take an interest in what you're doing and subscribe to like people, influencers, newsletters, uh, people that are in the industry that are, that your customers are listening to, because it may not be you. Yeah. When you're, when you're promoting it, when you're, when you have a piece of content and you want to take it out 
and share it with those audiences, uh, you cannot, you have to act like part of that community. You have to know that community because they'll communities in general will recognize someone that's got bad intentions or just wants to like sell stuff and yep. your message will fall flat. If you can become part of that community and this is where like 80% of your content promotion, this is why you spend 80% of it because content fabulous content that you spend most of your time on isn't going to do anything in the wild. But if you can go into like a Reddit group or a Slack channel and you're a known part of that community and you participate, they'll listen when you actually have something, something to promote. Uh, But you know, it it all comes back to like just taking the time and um, putting in the effort to understand and comprehend who you're talking to and what they, what they, what they're interested in, what they care about. Yeah, I think that's the um, the cost that, at least in our mindset, that viral content has plagued us with, is that we don't, we're not patient enough with the process. I mean, how long, I mean, this content oh. process, right? Like, how long are you talking? You, I think you said years. So, years. like, yeah. So, like, from, and it doesn't end, but, like, from when you shifted from PR to content, and then you started putting in that sort of work, and what you know and it you know there's different stages like when you said you changed your writing level and stuff um what's that timeline like for you in that experience what was the timeline like well for me it's probably longer than it had to be uh one because i was sort of new to that world uh it took me a while being like so niche and being so b2b it took some time to really learn and develop content for that audience. The other thing is I didn't have a budget. You can, um, you can accelerate your content adoption quickly with paid media. Yeah. Um, and the, the sort of the, the, the other major fork to this conversation is, uh, building a database and Mm -hmm. being able to use a tool, uh, like a marketing automation platform to consistently, um, poke that database to slice them up into segments and know that like, I know that these people are interested in this and I can send them this type of content. These people, however, need a different, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe over here you have like a manager level person over here, you have uh, executive level people and in general, regardless of industry, those are two different conversations that uh, are generally going to happen. Um, so paid media can accelerate it rapidly. Um, that being said, and, and sorry, marketing automation can accelerate it rapidly. That being said, um, they're not an excuse for getting away from like the basics that you have to follow, which yeah. are good, readable content. Uh, follow your SEO practices. Use lots of them and just, you know, like the lots of like these are the things that, you know, content 101. You can't get away from that. You might have a $10,000 a month budget to promote your webinars. But if your like landing page experience stinks, it's not gonna ma- it's not gonna make that big a difference. You're gonna just waste money. If your content's not good, uh, if you don't have like if you have like a gigantic form that no one's gonna want to fill out to to uh, to get to your webinar, then yeah, it doesn't matter. Like just you may as well be lighting your money on fire. So you can speed it up, uh, but you can't get away from those like basic principles of what makes for good content and makes for a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because otherwise it's not sustainable. Yeah. It's like you have to oh. put them together or else like without the foundation, it'll just crumble um, pretty yeah. quickly. 
Yeah. And you'll, and, and you'll, you will waste chances with your audience. Yeah. Um, well, that's where the trust is built, right? So, I mean, you can lose trust through stuff like automation and paid media crazy fast. If you don't, very quickly. if you don't use it right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, very quickly. Okay. Let's, let's jump into like the automation side a little bit since that's where you've lived a little bit more. And, uh, we're running a little bit low on time and I want to be respectful of it. So as you transitioned, into automation what was like something that really stood out as like i i don't like the term game changing but what was like a really impressive shift in your either content or delivery that had like a significant impact on the business one for me was i suddenly had the ability to reach out to my entire database in a minute uh literally 300,000 people, this database that we had built for years who had been, I had been having people subscribe and they just like sat in a WordPress plugin and they got automated like blog um, follow-ups. Yeah. We're talking like 2014, like 15 yeah. here. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and then we had a bunch of them in Salesforce, which uh, we also didn't have the ability to do like mass emails out of Salesforce. Literally I would go into Salesforce and log in as my sales reps and distribute content from them to their prospects one at a time. So yeah, uh, like to all of a sudden be handed HubSpot, it's like going from a pellet gun to a tank. Um, <laughs> quick access to people. And then the other big thing is like, all right, now I'm start, I, I immediately started to get data. I can see what they can consume. I can see what pages they're viewing. I can see like how many pages they're viewing. I can follow their path. Once they come onto my website, I can see like, all right, the they're going from this post to this post and they're going to my home page pricing page and <clears throat> i like suddenly that changes the content that i made more than anything it changes like the calls to action that i would have in a blog post uh, and then now all of a sudden i have a replicable path that I can guide people on instead of like sending them a blog post and keeping my fingers crossed that maybe they make their way back to my website. I can instead be like, okay, I want you to read this and I'm going to put a call to action on that, on that blog that takes them to like a conversion piece. They convert on that. Now I'm going to reach out to them with like a not so salesy message about my company, but maybe like a, a case study or something that looks, that comes from someone that looks like them. They consume that and now I'm going to like hand them over to my sales team or I'm just going to automate that outreach myself and be like, come, you know, come sign up for a demo. Yeah. Instead of keeping my fingers crossed that someone's going to follow that path, I can push them there. Not or push, I can gently nudge them there. Yep. And if they don't take the next step, then I can continue like pulling on them until they take that next step. It's I mean, like from, from a pure distribution and customer journey standpoint, it's, it's night and day different than what we had, you know, eight years ago. For context, how long was your sales cycle in that? At, in <clears> this that particular company, it was about six months. Yeah. So it took a while. Um, but, you know, like with most companies, the big thing that we needed uh, was to basically hand over like hot prospects to sales. Um, warm people up and just give sales like a warm body to start with. Mm -hmm. And then over time we figured out like, how, how can we accelerate that buying cycle using again, the same set of tools, the same like content, the same marketing automation. Like how can we cut this down? Yeah. Um, and what, 
like immediate impacts? Like how did you measure your success? And especially early on, like early adoption, typically with anything, measuring success is a process. So like, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what do you feel like, what was the, what was the impact on the business? It, it, it took a, a few years to figure it out, but right off the bat, we were able to come back and say, uh, you know, these numbers are, are made up, but basically sure. of $50 million of business that we closed this year, marketing touched uh, three quarters of that. Yeah. And we were able to put in like the, the most basic attribution, uh, basically like marketing had first touch for this amount. Um, and then marketing had last touch on this amount back then, you know, HubSpot, um, had like basic reporting. We couldn't afford to go out and get something like visible or some of those, uh, you know, high powered tools. So, but, but for the first time we had insight and we had not, uh, well, I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but we had like concrete evidence, not anecdotal. That's the word we didn't yeah. have. Like we had more than just anecdotal evidence that marketing had impacted this. And as a result, like I was able to go back and ask for a slightly bigger budget and be able to like dump in some uh, paid media to help promote this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but right off the bat, we were able to figure out like, all right, we have a role. We're not sure how big. We had a role though in this business that closed. And then by the cool. time we were done, by the time like I left, we had it pretty well down to a science. Like, all right, uh, everything from like time that it takes to get someone from a subscriber to an MQL, MQL to close, uh, even all the way down to like, you know, as you move in more into that like operations role, we were then working on time, like our SLAs between sales and marketing. Like, all right, we know how long it takes from a lead to come into marketing for sales to make that first touch. Yeah. And we know how that impacts ultimately closes, which, you know, that's invaluable. It's the kind of thing that like, we've only started to really get, that's become accessible to any marketer over the last, you know, like what, three, four years. Yep. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, we don't have time for it, but uh, <laughs> I, I think one thing I'd love to go back and forth on you with is multi touch attribution. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm actually really skeptical of it. I, yes. and, and I'm on a small team. Um, but I, and so maybe, so we'll have some other conversation or offline or something, but I want to go back and forth with you on that because I have a lot of skepticism on it. Um, okay. Good reason. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm glad that at least there's some validity to yes. my thinking. Um, awesome. These, I think there's a lot of good lessons here. Uh, appreciate the time. Um, Always. And uh, yeah. Um, looking forward to, you know, if you guys throw on some additional virtual events or whatever for HubSpot user groups and um, yeah, appreciate it, man. Everyone so. can sign up. Just, uh, yeah, search for Salt Lake City HubSpot user group where thanks to like uh, COVID, anyone that sees this can join regardless yeah. of where you are. So yeah, please. We'd love to have you. We talk about not just HubSpot. We talk about all the marketing, <clears throat> all the marketing nerdery. So yeah. come okay. geek it up with us. Yeah, absolutely. Join. I've been to several of the events and they're really good. There's good stuff in there. So um, again, thanks, dude. We'll, uh, Thank you. we'll chat soon.